In the ancient Hebrew tradition of Midrash, there is a story about what really happened in the desert at Sinai when God gave the commandments to Moses, all 613 of them. Now, it takes even God a long time to carve into stone 613 commandments using a finger. So Moses has to wait and wait and wait. Meanwhile, down below, the people are restless. How can we trust this Moses? He's brought us out into the desert here to die. Where is he? He's left his brother Aaron in charge. And they go to Aaron and they say, make us a god. Now Moses has insisted they already have a god, and they, they look up onto the mountain where Moses is supposed to have gone to talk to this god, and all they can see is smoke and cloud. Make us a god we can see, Aaron. Make us a god we can get close to. And Aaron does. When Moses finally returns, he sees what's going on in the camp. He sees the golden calf. He hears the chanting. He watches the dancing. He smells the smoke of sacrifices. And he gets so mad, he throws the stone tablets down, and they break into a million little pieces. Now, they were likely to crack anyway with all that carving on both sides of them. They were likely to fall apart. But Moses very dramatically throws them down to dust. And Moses is angry with his brother. And all Aaron says was, they gave me all their gold, I threw it into the fire, and up jumped a calf. Who knew? So Moses has the golden calf ground to dust, and he spreads the dust on the water supply, and he makes the people drink it while he watches. And then he trudges back up the mountain to try to negotiate with God for another set of laws. And also to plead with God not to smite the people, not to finish them off, not to give up on them. So God tells Moses to cut two more stone tablets from the mountain. And God says, I'm not going to write all 613 again. I'll give you 10 commandments, and the rest you can figure out for yourself. So Moses goes back down to try again to teach the people how God's covenant people are expected to behave and especially to worship. And reading the books of Exodus and Leviticus might give us the impression that God and Moses are the first micromanagers. They go on and on and on about the dimensions and decorations of the tabernacle, the portable temple that they take with them, and it's the heart of every time they stop, of every encampment. There are yards and yards and yards of words about the high priest's underwear and every layer of clothing he'll wear on top of them. So in all this detail, we may forget that the Ten Commandments, the Ten, overshadow all 603 of the other laws. And the Ten Commandments begin with calls to worship and honor God alone. 
And then they go on about honoring others, parents, neighbors, slaves, livestock. Putting God first in life means people and every living thing comes a very close second. These Ten Commandments are clear then. It's all about who comes first in your life and mine and what we do because of that that matter most. The verses that we read from chapter 19 are are kind of a beating heart in the middle of that troublesome book full of rules. And the second part of chapter 19, which we read today, ends with a zinger. But it points back to the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord, your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. There's no reason or rationale provided. It's simply, I am the Lord your God. Now, much later, by Jesus' time, the men called the Pharisees have become policemen. They identify violations of the laws of God and Moses, and they prevent, or they try to prevent, the breaking of all 613 commandments. And in the gospel, the Pharisees are usually the villains of the stories. History tells us they they aren't bad men, maybe misguided, sometimes overzealous, like Saul, who we know as Paul. Their task, as they put it, was to build a fence around the laws of God and Moses. They try to teach people how to avoid offenses, especially when it's so easy to stumble over one of the 613 commandments and break it without even knowing what you've done. So they offer guidance, and and they have it down in fine detail. This act that you're wondering about, that doesn't break a law. That act that you're trying to ignore does break a law. Or, or, Or if you just do this, like washing your hands seven times, many times a day, you can avoid breaking a law that would render you unworthy of coming to worship. So if the Pharisees wore pants, They'd keep them up with both belt and suspenders, just in case. So Matthew tells us that the Pharisees are watching Jesus. Now, he's just won a debate with the Sadducees, pushovers compared to the Pharisees. And one of them, who was especially learned in the law, asked Jesus, Teacher, Rabbi, which commandment in the law is the greatest Now, this should let the Pharisees know which party Jesus belongs to. Is he a liberal or conservative when it comes to the law? This should tell them which rabbi's school of thought he follows. Which theological college did he attend, Knox or PC? Jesus answers right away with two greatest commandments. The first is from Deuteronomy, and it's words that every faithful descendant of Abraham and Sarah says at the beginning and the end of every day, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now that's an answer no one would dare ever to say was wrong. And Jesus goes on. 
the first greatest commandment just covers the first four of the Ten Commandments, after all. So he says this one goes with that one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That covers commandments five through ten. And that sums up all the laws of God and, of, of God and Moses and the words of all the prophets. Hmm. So, how well do you know your neighbors? In the time of Leviticus, the story behind Leviticus, it's easy to identify your neighbors in the camp on the great trek to the promised land. They're so close, you know them so well. Loving them, though, is something else. Jesus doesn't have a neighborhood. He doesn't even have a house. The 12 who are close to him and many others who follow left neighborhoods and neighbors to go with Jesus. But Jesus is from Nazareth and grows up surrounded by people who are just like him and people who are nothing like him. His hometown is a crossroads. So as Nazareth neighbors include Roman soldiers and civilians, traders, travelers from all over the world beyond the hills of Galilee. A prophet calls it Galilee of the Gentiles, literally, Galilee of the others. So, Jesus' neighbor is anyone who comes close enough to him just for a second, for a breath, for him to see them and love them. I remember a gathering of clergy years ago. It, it happened in Sarnia. Uh, at this gathering, we took turns opening each meeting with a reflection. And one day, after the assigned speaker ended his presentation, another voice broke the silence. It was Charlie Chaplin. Slightly different spelling of that last name. Retired from active ministry, he still visited hospitals and homes, more or less in the name of the local Pentecostal church. And we all knew him. I, I forget his real last name, but he called himself Charlie Chaplin. That was fine. He said, I have something to share. We all got just a little bit nervous. Last week, I was down at African Lion Safari with my grandchildren. We were watching the parrot show. Everyone was watching closely. I'd never seen anything like it before. Well, I had just seen it with Maggie. It wasn't all that spectacular. But to Charlie, it was the greatest thing in the world. But what on earth was he going to say next? I was so happy. I closed my eyes and I said, thank you, Lord. And he opened my eyes, and I realized God loves all the people watching that parrot show. So I love them all, too. So I can see Charlie now there in the sunshine with a, with a parrot on a unicycle on a wire right above his head, praising the Lord. God loves them all. So I love them all, too. 
strangers all, young and old, all kinds of people, neighbors. Some say loving my neighbor as myself means that I have to figure out how to love myself first. I don't buy that. If someone who needs my help has to wait until I figure out how to love myself, that neighbor is going to wait a very long time. And it's not love my neighbor as much as I love myself. It's love my neighbor because we are one. My neighbor and I, we are attached by more than proximity. As human beings who inhabit this world, as creatures whom God loves unconditionally, I'm part of my neighbor, and I'm incomplete without my neighbor. And if my neighbor isn't just like me, I'm a richer, better human being from knowing that neighbor. Race, religion, gender identity, sexuality, ability or disability, education or life experience, none of these things matters. I love God, God loves them all, so I love them all too. At least I try. How well do you know your neighbors? We have to fight the trend. Sociologists call it the atomization of society. Bonds that once happened between neighbors just because they were neighbors, they don't grow anymore. This is a city of neighborhoods. Each one has a name. We're proud of them. And none of them is really naturally a community of neighbors. We have to make it happen. Someone has to take the initiative. Why not us? Christians. We love God, and we know we're called to spend our lives trying our best to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in a time when the loudest message in the air is, be afraid, make sure you and your own are safe, we have a counter-message. We're not safe unless we're together. And we can read out loud from the scriptures those beautiful words, perfect love casts out all fear. Now, we all thought that Charlie Chaplin was just a little silly. But I don't think I was the only one in that room who wanted to be once in a while as uninhibited, as fearless in his love for God and people as Charlie was on that day when he sat at African Lion Safari with a parrot on a unicycle teetering above his head on a wire. But for that matter, I wouldn't, as my, I wouldn't mind being as open as Charlie was on that day when he said to a bunch of cool and cautious clergy, the Lord opened my eyes and I realized God loves them all, so I love them all too. Thanks, Charlie. Amen.